is the Larry Hardesty Show. No, I just take it a day at a time, man, to be honest. Now, what you did not hear there is he inferred that there still is a possibility that he will have to have surgery on the shoulder. He's not sure. The Julius Randle that I know, the Julius Randle that has been the player that he's been with the Knicks, has been Mr. Availability. This year, he's been better. All right, he's a flawed player, like a number of flawed players in the NBA. But the one thing you you know about him is he's Mr. Availability. But just the idea of surgery entering in, okay, what does that mean for this Knicks team? This is the Larry Hardesty Show on 98.7 ESPN. Now let's head down to Port St. Lucie. Pat Ragazzo joins us there, does a great job for uh, SI.com and also Inside the Mets with Fansider. Uh, Pat, how are you? I'm great, Larry. How are you? Great to talk to you again. I'm doing great, thanks. Pat, I got your message, and I was like, what's going on with Singer now? I mean, (laughs) Pat, I was very concerned as a Mets fan, very concerned. Give me the latest. Well, the latest really is that we're going to have to wait and see until tomorrow. I mean, Carlos Mendoza spoke today and informed us that he did not participate in workouts today because of some arm fatigue. He felt it after his side session yesterday on Tuesday, and the Mets are going to be playing it very cautious with him. I mean, he's the de facto ace in the rotation coming off a big rookie year, and they're going to be counting on him this year. So um, the hope right now is that it's just uh, – much to be concerned about and just just making sure that he's okay and getting him checked out he was getting checked out by the trainers today and of course didn't do any baseball activity but um there could be a scenario where he undergoes an mri and testing just to make sure that it's nothing and um, that could be the route that they go but again we're not going to know until tomorrow morning pat is it unusual to have arm fatigue already I think at this point we see it a lot with pitchers around the game, especially over the last several years where guys are working out all off season and throwing all winter a couple times a week. And then they get to camp and start to amp things up. And then that's when they start feeling some, you know, some discomfort, some twinges, some tweaks. So again, it, it shouldn't be something that serious, but, but you never know. And they just have to be sure and have to be careful with him considering how important he is to this team in this rotation. Pat, what has been your early takeaways from the Carlos Mendoza-led Mets down in Port St. Lucie? The only takeaways are that the vibes are good. Uh, The atmosphere has been positive. Everybody's excited to be back. It's almost like the first day and first week of school being Mm -hmm. the first uh, official day and week of, you know, players officially reporting. So things are good right now. And the Mets, you know, inside that clubhouse, they believe in themselves, even when people on the outside really aren't considering they didn't do too much this offseason from a transactional standpoint. Um, but, again, they, they have a core pl- a group of core players in there, guys who have track records, and uh, maybe some guys who are trying to have bounce-back years and, and kind of re- rediscover themselves and, and, and be productive for this team. But, uh, you know, David Stearns has made a living off of the smaller moves and kind of, you know, having a core in place and not spending too much. And, and, and he's brought a lot of teams to the playoffs like he did in Milwaukee. Uh, where he, you know, he had a lower payroll and he had less talent, and uh, you know, he's he's set up pretty nicely with, the, with this Mets team this year. Even though, um, you know, there are certainly some holes. You know, people say they should have added a bat or maybe added some more relievers, another you know top of the line starter in the rotation. But um, you know, they're pretty confident with what they have so far, and so far so good with Carlos Mendoza and his first year as manager. All right, let me take each one of those because I kind of feel 
every, the same way as every one of those things that you mentioned, Pat. Let's start with the bat. Am I to understand that uh, J.D. Martinez is probably not coming here, that they are really going to see if Luke Voigt can be that DH, if he shows something in, in, in spring training and the bat comes back and the speed, and we know the power. We've seen what he could do with the Cardinals and the Yankees, obviously, uh, that he could be that missing piece as the DH? I believe Luke Voigt's an option. I mean, he's shown tremendous pop in his career. He put on a very, very strong performance in AAA for the Mets last year. In 37 games, he hit 14 home runs and had 1,058 OPS. It was very impressive, but he never got the call for the majors, which led him to opt out of his minor league deal in August and go to the Brewers, where he struggled, although he got very minimal at bats in Milwaukee. Um, he's definitely an option. I mean, I think that they want to see what they have in Mark Vientos, and they're hoping that he develops into that power hitter that he was at the minor league level. Um, but it, you just really don't know because he doesn't have the track record in, in the big leagues. And um, like we talked about last time I was on with you, Starling Marte is actually an option to DH a little bit this season, you know, considering they're going to have to be very careful with him and, and do some maintenance considering he's coming off double groin surgery and, you know, a really tough year last year coming back from that surgery. I mean, he looks healthy so far. He looks healthy in the Dominican League. Uh, Mets brass were very pleased with what they saw when they went down there to watch him. Um, but again, he's going to take some of the, the bats from that position. They're hoping Viento steps up. Uh, they do have David, or uh, they do have DJ Stewart, and um, you know Luke Voigt could be an option there if he continues to mash at the minor league level or potentially takes the job in spring training. But the only thing is, David Stearns recently said that uh, the way they evaluate these spring training games, uh, you know, not necessarily on performance or mistakes that they that they're made, but it does kind of change the perception of how they view certain players and competitions. Uh, you know, in a way, but they're not going to be over dramatic about what they see in these Grapefruit League games. But there is definitely a realistic scenario if Luke Boyd plays his cards right and does what he needs to do, uh, that he could be getting some DH at bats or potentially take the job this year. Pat, you watched him last year. Uh, how should I look at DJ Stewart? Should I look at, is he as, as good as he was late in the season last year for this Met team? He was, he, I mean, he was great. He gave you some hits. He, he played the field pretty well. Is, is is that the real D.J. Stewart? So D.J. Stewart was very productive for the Mets last year in the second half on both sides of the ball, really. And, um, you know, as, as a part-time player, maybe in a bench role, I think that he could be just what the Mets need. Um, now, playing on an everyday basis across a full season is a different story. We just don't know because he hasn't done it at the big league level. Um, but, yeah, I think it'll be interesting to see what they can get out of him this year. And if, if they can get – you know, at least a portion of the production that he gave them in the end of last season, I think that it would be a, uh, you know, it would be a win uh, for the Mets because, um, again, he's not, unless there's there's some injuries that they get hit with, I mean, he's, he's not really going to be relied upon to be a top guy or an everyday player. So uh, in a part-time role, they could, they could get some production out of him this year. Pat Ragazzo is my guest. Pat, um, we talked about the starting rotation. Obviously, that was the top story with Senga. When you look at that rotation now, Senga, Quintana, I guess Manea, Severino, McGill in there. What? How do you do? You see that? Will do you think the Mets will try to make another move to try to solidify that starting five, or is this the five we're kind of looking at coming north? I believe this is the five that we're looking at coming north, barring injuries, barring Sanga's status. This is what the Mets put together this offseason, and um, you know, there's not a lot of star power in the rotation. I mean, again, Sanga is the de facto ace. They have Jose Quintana, who pitched well after coming off injury last year and has pitched well in his career. 
Luis Severino is a guy who Carlos Mendoza spent a lot of years with, with the Yankees. He saw him be that ace. He saw him go through injuries and struggles. And I actually asked Mendoza today during our press conference, what makes him confident that Luis Severino can get back to being, uh, you know, that top starter in a rotation. And, and he really decided his competitiveness and that he's a guy who wants the ball, a very unique guy who, uh, you know, you, you really can trust, uh, you know, in, in a big game. And, and that's who he was in his career before he got hit with injuries over the last several seasons. So Carlos Mendoza's confident, you know, he's very familiar with Severino and he does believe that he could be getting back to that ace-like form this year, potentially with the Mets. And, and, and it's an audition for him as well. It's a one-year deal. He wants to continue his career. He wants to go to free agency next year, being a, you know, hotter commodity than he was this year. So uh, there's a lot on the line for Luis Severino. So, um, yeah, I think that uh, there's potentially some upside there in the rotation. And you look at a Sean Manaya, who from May on last year had a ERA in the threes and added a sweeper and added velocity. So uh, his stock's up a little bit. And then an Adrian Hauser, who's been a solid number five for his career. I mean, he's not coming off a great season with Milwaukee, but David Stearns is very familiar given their time together with the Brewers. And, um, you know, he's a guy who could give them what they need out of that spot as well. Uh, so it's really just going to come down to depth as well in the, in the rotation. Can Tyler McGill give them quality starts? Can Jose Budo continue to pitch the way that he did when he was called upon last year? Uh, can some of the younger guys, you know, emerge from, from the minor leagues in, in a Hamill or a, or, or a Mike Vassell or a Christian Scott or Tyler Stewart? Like, the, the Mets are, are really – this is the year that they're going to see what they have, and, and that was the plan all along. And, um, yeah, some of these guys, you know, might be able to surprise. Some of them might be able to live up to expectations. And, really, the trajectory of the season is going to count on, you know, on those guys, uh, you know, stepping up. Pat, where do you see uh, Joey Lucchese? Do you see him as a starter or maybe a spot, a long guy out of the pen? I think Joey Lucchese can do both. I think – for his career and where he was most productive last year was as a spot starter and a fill-in guy. Um, again, I think that he's going to be utilized as such as, you know, that depth starter. And when he's not up in the big leagues, he'll probably be trip- pitching in AAA. And um, again, if, if they can get what they got out of him last year when they need him, then, then that would be a big help as well. But, um, you know, he's a guy who's pitching quality starts and, uh, you know, he's been able to prove himself a little bit. So uh, it's not, not really a, a bad depth piece to have for the Mets. How much pressure is on Brett Beatty to be the third baseman of this team? I think the pressure is there with Brett Beatty after the, you know, the struggles he went through last season. I mean, he was, it wasn't long ago that he was the number two prospect in the organization and the top 100 prospect in baseball. So they still believe in Brett Beatty, and I think that's why they didn't bring in a Gio Rochella or maybe even a Justin Turner, um, really because that would have taken away at-bats from Beatty bringing in Rochella, you know, as an insurance option was something that I kind of floated throughout the offseason, but it, it really didn't make sense if you want to give Beatty a real look to have a young guy like that looking over his shoulder after a tough year. Uh, it doesn't really help his development necessarily. So um, this year I think is going to tell you a lot about Brett Beatty, given the adversity he's gone through, and, and, and we'll see how he responds to it. But this guy was once a, a very highly touted prospect, so and he's, he's still very young and he has minimal major league experience. So uh, no reason to give up on him. They kind of need to see what he has. Talking Mets with Pat Ragazzo. Pat, uh, two two questions here, A and B. A, can Brandon Nimmo successfully make that move to the corner outfield? And B, how much is he going to be playing in center field anyway because of the availability for Harrison Bader? <laughs> so Brandon Nimmo, for most of his career until the last few seasons, was a corner outfielder. And he said it himself, so it shouldn't be really a hard transition for him. And I think he's very relieved that he doesn't have to play center field 
every day, given the, the tax and toll it takes on the lower half of your body and physically overall. And I actually asked him that yesterday in the clubhouse when we were speaking to him as a group. And uh, he said that he really thinks that this move is going to benefit his health. And he's very excited to be going back to left field. And he's also very optimistic about the outfield defense overall, given how good Harrison Bader's been in center over his career. I mean, he's statistically the best defensive center fielder in baseball, but the only knock on him is that he's dealt with a lot of injuries uh, over the past several years. I mean, since the start of 2021, he's, uh, he's, he's missed 199 games. So Harrison Bader, yes, you mentioned the availability. Um, you know, it's definitely a question mark and Nimmo probably will have to play some center field this year, but um, in the games that Bader is healthy, if you can keep him healthy for the majority of the season, at least, then uh, it will be a huge, uh, you know, a huge boost to, um, you know, to Nimmo being able to, uh, to take some little, take some physicality off of himself and rest his body a little bit more playing left field, keep him healthy, probably have a more productive season offensively as well. And, uh, you know, when Bader's out there in center, I mean, their defense up the middle will be very strong, you know, considering they have Francisco Lindor, Jeff McNeil at second, and Francisco Alvarez behind the plate, whose defensive skills have been very impressive since he came up to the major leagues. So, um, so yeah, so it, 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 it's, it, it's a positive sign for the Mets, but, but yes, there is some question there. And, and I guess it's kind of a good problem to have a guy oh. like Brandon Nimmo who is able to step in in center field if Bader were to get hurt this year, given his past, uh, you know, his past struggles with injuries. A couple more for you, Pat. Sticking with Nimmo for a second. I don't know. Maybe it was just me. It seemed as though that he kind of went home run happy a little bit last year. Uh, and I think it kind of affected his ability to be, to, you know, be more of a contact hitter, which is really what he's been for most of his career. Am I off base? Um, no, I mean, Nimmo definitely set a career high for home runs last year. He got, you know, maybe a little more uppercut and a little more pull in his swing. Um, that's not necessarily his game. But look where he hits in the order. I mean, he hits leadoff, and, you know, if he hit down in the order a little bit, he might actually have more home runs than he did mm. last year. Um, but, but the Mets really need him to get on base at the high clip that he has, you know, over his career, be that table setter, uh, you know, hit for high contact and, and average and, um, you know, kind of go from there and, and set the table for their, their bigger hitters like Lindor and, uh, you know, Pete Alonso. So, um, yeah, it's not a bad thing that he's hitting more home runs, but, uh, you know, you just really want him to be on base and, and obviously to stay healthy as well. Is this the year Jeff McNeil gets back to what we've seen from Jeff McNeil? Now, the first part is he ended the season really well for me. Uh, slow start, but he seemed to end the season well. Is he? Is this the year that he kind of gets back to that, which is crazy, Pat, because just what in 2022 he was a batting champion. Is this the year he gets – 2021. Is this the year he gets back to that? It has been a strange couple of years for Jeff McNeil over the past couple of seasons. Um, he went from being one of the best pure hitters in the game from when he get, came up midway through 2018 and, you know, 2019, he had a great season, 2020 in the shortened season, he was still a very, uh, you know, tremendous hitter in the league. And then he struggled in 2021 and then he bounced back with a, a batting title in 2022. Last year he struggled again, but he also was dealing with an elbow injury all season, which wound up being a torn UCL, which he didn't need surgery for. So I asked David Stearns back in December uh, what makes him confident that Jeff McNeil and Sully Marte, of course, what makes him confident that they're going to be able to bounce back and be those impact pieces in the lineup that they were in 2022. And the key there, he said, was just health. So that's really what it comes down to. If Jeff McNeil's healthy, he's probably going to be that batting title type hitter in the Mets lineup that they need. And that would be a huge plus for them considering they didn't, they didn't add a bat beyond Harrison Bader this offseason. So um, I, I think McNeil and, and also Marte are going to be key for that lineup this year. 
Two more for you, Pat. Now, thanks for a couple of minutes and joining us from Port St. Lucie. We know Edwin Diaz is, listen, he was the best closer in Major League Baseball before the injury last year. Do they have enough in Rayleigh and Adovino and Drew Smith? Is there enough bridge to get to him? So essentially, the Mets have a similar bullpen to last year, only they swapped closers from David Robertson to Edwin Diaz, which is a major a major upgrade, considering he's one of the best closers in all of baseball, not named Josh Hader. Mm-hmm. So Edwin Diaz coming back is going to be a huge impact for the Mets. But, of course, they need to get to the ninth inning. They need to get him the ball with the lead in the end of the game, and then they'll be okay. And adding Jake Diekman was a good move. I mean, he went to Tampa Bay last year after getting designated for assignment by the White Sox. And Tampa Bay helped him reinvent his delivery. He cut down on his walks a little bit, which has been a struggle in his career. And um, he also, you know, he had a a 2.45 ERA in 45 innings the rest of the way. So um, Jake Diekman is a guy who could make a big impact. Adam Adovino coming back. The Mets are hoping that he bounces back a little bit. I mean, he didn't have as good of nearly as good of a year as he did in 2022. And they're still waiting on Drew Smith to take the next step in his career. I mean, he has a lot of promise, but um, he's had some stretches where he's been dominant. He's had some stretches where he's really, really had a tough time. And Brooks Raley's been pretty solid in that spot, too. So I think the Mets do have enough to get by, which was similar to last year. But it also will help that they now have, uh, you know, their elite closer back, who, by the way, I had asked Carlos Mendoza today if they were asking him to maybe take a little off right now, you know, not push it too hard. And, and he confirmed that. They are asking him to do so. I mean, the training staff is being very, very cautious with him as well to make sure he doesn't push himself too hard to, you know, re-injure himself or get a new injury uh, because they're really going to need him this year and they want him for the long haul. No question about that. Pat, last one. We know that David Stearns comes from very high analytics, uh, even more so than what the team was last year. Are these what is the role? What do you think the role will be for analytics and Pete Alonso? And whether they decide to whether they're going to sign him, whether they think they're going to move him at the deadline because they look and they say, well, from an analytical standpoint, we don't think he's going to be around. He's not going to be effective after you get a you know a long term contract for him, and you know he's going to want a long term deal. Well, that's the real question, right? I mean, it's how durable is he going to be across a long term deal? He's one of the best power hitters in the game, if not the best power hitter since he came to the league in 2019. No one has more home runs than RBIs in the game. So he's a superstar. He's a very valuable player. He's a franchise cornerstone. But you just don't necessarily know how a player like that will age. Um, in the short term, it's something that should work out for the Mets, and I think that they're going to look at that, obviously, as uh, you know, a big, a big, a big reason to, to bring this guy back. I mean, he's not going to be cheap. Uh, and there's going to be a lot of bidders for him, considering he's most likely going to free agency, free agency next year. Um, but, but again, I think that a guy like this doesn't come around very often, and especially with what they have in Francisco Alvarez now, that they're hoping that those two guys can be their big boppers in the middle of the order for many years to come. Uh, I think that's probably the vision that they have if all goes well with their development. Um, so, so, yeah, I think that analytics will probably be utilized in, in making that decision. But at the same time, I mean, they know what type of player Pete Alonso is, and uh, they know that he's, you know, he's a bona fide star, and he's someone who would be very, very hard to let go of. So, um, you know, it's going to be a tough decision, but I think that um, I think the Mets are going to, you know, probably do everything they can to retain the guy. 
Pat Ragazzo, great job as always, my friend. We'll talk soon. Have fun in Port St. Lucie. Sounds great. I'll do that. Thanks so much for having me. This is ESPN New York Tonight with Larry Hardesty on 98.7 ESPN. I love talking to Pat Ragazzo. He kind of centers me as far as what's going on with uh, the Mets and some of the things that, you know, I'm, I'm worried about and concerned about with uh, my team. And uh, I have enjoyed over the past couple of, of days, I think they did it on Friday, Thursday or Friday, and uh, they did it again today. I have really enjoyed Michael and Don's debate over uh, the Mets and what they can do and what they should do in their situation. And, you know, the bottom line here is very simple, that for the Mets, this is a fact-finding year. And I think Don said the best. There's a bunch of free agents that will be better in the end of this uh, the end of this season coming up. That the Mets field will make a difference for their team. And why would we spend money on partial free agents that we're not sure? The only and I agree with him. But here's where I agree with Michael. And Michael said you can do both. And I agree with Michael in this sense. Okay, we're not spending a ton of money. I get it. I understand it. Last year was a sobering wake-up call. I promise I'll get to the calls in a second. Sobering wake-up call. Especially when you had to get rid of Verlander and Scherzer because they weren't producing and you weren't going anywhere. So you had to get rid of them. And you, you ate the salary, and then you were able to trade them and get you know young players. But for me, I just want them to have another bat in the lineup. You mean to tell me I can't spend a couple of million for a two-year deal for J.D. Martinez to give me a solid bat of protection for Lindor and Alonzo? I mean, I don't know what I'm getting from Starling Marte. Are you telling me Starling Marte is going to be able to play 100 games this year? I don't know. I don't know what I'm getting from him. If he's in the lineup, if he's in the lineup consistently... I believe he can make a difference. I don't know about the speed. I don't know how recovery is. I mean, double hernia is no joke. All right? Um, and he had surgery there. So I'm, I'm, I don't know what he speed-wise. I don't know. I mean, there's been good things came out of the winter ball. There's been some positive things coming out of spring training with him. I get that you want Vientos to learn that and see if he can be your DH. In theory, I understand it. But my question is, though, I mean, there's no guarantee. And I kind of want to be, I kind of want my team to play some meaningful games in September. Now, it doesn't mean they won't. But for me, if you're telling me that, if you're telling me the bullpen, the road to Diaz, the road to hearing trumpets play is the same rocky road that it was last year and that David Robertson was phenomenal in his role, and had to come in in the eighth inning a lot, sometimes seventh on rare occasions, but definitely eighth and ninth, five five out save, six out save. Then clearly the more runs I'm able to put across the plate and put up on the scoreboard, the better off it is for my bullpen. And maybe I can squeeze some length out of my starters because I've got some runs. So I'm not asking to bring in a, a multi-gazillion dollar player. 
and give him an eight, nine-year contract. I, I get that. You want to wait and see. Maybe maybe somehow the Soto doesn't agree with the Yankees and he becomes available. There's other free agents that are available. But you, you're telling me I can't pick up a DH? A tried-and-true DH that can add to my lineup? That gives Alonzo some protection? Gives, gives, you know, gives Alvarez protection? We're just going to rely on... You know, Alvarez and Alonzo for power in the lineup and maybe Marte if he's available. I don't know. I don't know. Those are my takeaways from Pat Regasso. What are yours? 1-800-919-3776. But you can call about the Yankees, the Mets, the Knicks is where we started out with the injuries. All that's on the table on the Dan Grosser Show. Uh, Carl's in Queens. What's up, Carl? Hey, Larry. Um, thank you for having me on. Uh, I need some Knicks back in my life, man. Uh, just to go over the um, injury report, tell me if I'm wrong about anything. Okay. Uh, Hardy and Bogdan, probable. Yes. Even Chenzo, good to go. Yes. OG, sit him until the playoffs, Larry. Just do that. Why not? He's, his, his situation is bad. Um, I don't know, Carl, if I'm ready to sit him till the playoffs. I originally thought that way as well. But I'm not if if depending on what happens with Randall and thanks for the phone call, Carl, depending on what happens with Randall and uh, his availability, uh, I may need to get OG back in a little before the playoffs because I need him to be to get some legs, to get some work, to get in playoffs, to get in NBA shape. I mean, he's in shape, but he's not in basketball shape. You get out of basketball shape quick. Uh, you know, with your wind and everything. So I, I don't know. I might be more willing to bring him back a little earlier. Uh, but I, I hear what you're saying. You you want Because, see, my concern is if we don't bring OG back to help defensively and get some scoring, I'm not sure that that leads Tibbs to think he's got to play Brunson over 40 minutes a night. And I don't want Jun- I don't want Brunson playing over forty minutes a night unless I can't unless I I absolutely have to. I think with what Burks can bring to the table, Hart, DiVincenzo, Bogdanovich, uh, you have enough scoring that I think you could you could put Brunson around thirty six to thirty eight minutes a night. And if I get, and of course I'd love to get him less than that, but I, I'm realistic. And, and a lot of the star players, that's what they play from 33 to 38 minutes a night. And some play over that. I mean, one time LeBron was leading the league in, in, in minutes played at 39. Or however old he is now. <laughs> he's, he, he plays like he's 22, but nevertheless. Uh, so if I can get him around 37, 38 minutes a game for Brunson, I'm good. But that my concern is, you know, that uh, they're not going to be back and, and – you know, OG's going to be back later, and then it's going to cause Tibbs to lose faith and lose confidence and, um, you know, uh, put Brunson in earlier than he needs to. Chris is in the car. What's up, Chris? Hey, how's it going, Larry? Uh, Everything's good, man. To talk to you. Uh, good to talk to you. I wanted to, I wanted to ask a little bit about – I don't know if you've seen too much about it because I feel like uh, it hasn't caught on too much. There's been like four offensive coaches that have left the Jets staff in the last couple of days. Obviously, it was a terrible offense last year, but the fact that these guys are getting looks, obviously other teams see something. So do you think it's uh, an indictment on Hackett? Is it something he's doing right? I really don't know how to take it as a Jets fan, and I was curious to get your take. Chris, I think a lot of it is 
uh, Hackett's, thanks for the phone call, Hackett's not going anywhere, and somebody's got to pay for the how bad that offense was and how that offense didn't make any adjustments. I knew that the running back coach was not going to be around just from some of the comments that were made from a couple of the players last year. So I'm not surprised that the Jets running back coach has is, is moving on. I'm, I'm not surprised at that. Um, and I know there's been some others. Listen, you can't have the season they had offensively, Chris, and bring everybody back. Yeah, you just can't. So Hackett, you know, they're, they're going to take the fall for – Hackett's inability to make adjustments. And once again, Hackett is Rogers' guy. So Rogers is going to continue to, you know, push his guy and help him here. The thing that seems obvious to me, though, is I just think that Rogers is so familiar with Hackett's offense that, you know, if Hackett calls something, he'll just audible out of it. Look, I'm not running that. I mean, you could tell that just, you could tell that being on the sideline. Watching him on the sideline during, uh, you know, during 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 games, regular season games, during the preseason games, um, you know, during the HBO series over the, the football season, the the preseason, you can see it. It's like I'm not, I'm not running that. Shaking his head like, what kind of call is that? Throw the football. Why are we running? Throw the football. So, um, you know, Rogers is comfortable. He knows that offense. Hackett's not leaving yet, but um, the, the other coordinate, the other uh, position coaches, uh, they don't have as much uh, you know protection as uh, as Nathaniel Hackett does. Richardson Manhattan, what's up, Richard? Larry, the better NBA player, Steph Curry or Kevin Durant, career-wise. I gotta say, I Steph go Curry. Steph. I think Steph. I mean, it's kind Me of unfair, but yeah, I'd say Steph. A winner. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's all you can say. A winner. Yeah. I compare well, him to know, Clyde. Durant's won two. Steph has won more. Mm-hmm. And yeah. more consistent. Larry, who would you rather have, Julius uh, uh, Julius Randall or Mikael Bridges? With the team I have right now. Yeah. If I'm a Nick fan with the team I have right now? Yeah. Probably Randall. Randall. Okay. Probably Randall because of what he because of the physical the the size and, Nick's and the physicality like that. that he brings for the right. team I have right now. He fits that well. Larry, I hate to be, you know, a downer, but I don't okay. think the Knicks can do anything. They've been just too injured. See, the problem is they haven't played together long enough mm-hmm. so that, you know, different guys can come back. and It's going to be a mishmash when they come back. And now Anunnabi may not be back till the playoffs? Wow, this is going to be tough. Although the one good thing I will say about the trade, I mean, obviously Anunnabi was a great trade getting him, but mm-hmm. uh, getting pressures, is a, I thought he was just a throw-in. Yeah. This guy can play. He's I mean, good. he gives you 12 to 15 rebounds if you put him in the starting lineup. How yep. many players in the NBA can you say can do that? And this I is a guy, yeah, I mean, you know, and he's a defender, and uh, I just think, you know, the Knicks, but overall, I don't see how, unless they can get these guys back right away. Not mm-hmm. because, you know, just because you got to get into a flow yeah. where you have Chemistry the rotation. Yeah, you yeah, have to is. have some sort of, you know, and he had that. 
just when they made the trade, boy, you could see the Knicks had like a set nine, ten man rotation. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, and one last thing, Larry, it's good yeah. to see Fournier is scoring a little bit on it, playing a little bit, boy. I'm rooting In for Detroit, that guy. Yeah. yeah. I'd like to see him average 10, 12, 14 points a game with Detroit. That's a nice thing, boy. You don't want to, you know, you don't want to wish bad on anybody. And he no, was a nice guy, a yeah. good guy, you know, and he, in a bad yeah. situation. Yeah. So, Larry, Absolutely. always a pleasure. Thank you, All right, Larry. Richard. Thanks for checking in. You know, a couple things um, to follow up on what Richard had to say. It's, it's, chemistry is so important in the team. The only thing is, Really, in this East, I don't see anybody running away. I just don't. I think that the Knicks will be okay to get somebody back until they get their people back. But yeah, chemistry is very important. There's no doubt about it. How do you how do you know when people want the ball and, and that idea where I don't have to think, I know this is what I'm doing. You know what I'm doing. You can you can try to duplicate some of that in practice, but it really you just need to get you know, you need to get on the floor with your teammates. That, that's how you figure out what to do. That's how you know. That's how you're comfortable with, uh, you know, that's how teams are good. That's how teams play well together. Look at, and he mentioned Steph Curry. Look at Golden State in there when they were the Warriors, when they were the champs. I mean, the ball movement, the cutting, understanding where everybody's going to be. I mean, it was, just, it, was, it, was, it was basketball nirvana. Just watching that movement and, and, and the ball movement and the, and the player movement. Even when you knew what was coming, it was hard to, to stop it. And so, yeah, that, that and I'm not comparing the Knicks to the championship Warriors, but I am saying from a chemistry standpoint, that's what you hope to build with whatever team you're with. So, listen, we'll, we'll see how far they can go with what they have. This is what they've been dealt with. And they've had a lot of injuries. A lot of injuries. This is ESPN New York Tonight with Larry Hardesty on 98.7 ESPN. Yeah, it's just going to be, a, I think, a constant maintenance, I think, the rest of my career. It's just something, anything with injuries like that, you just got to stay on top of it so it doesn't doesn't flare up again or something doesn't happen again. So we're feeling good right now. We're out there. We're moving. We're grooving. So we're going to try to keep it that way. A constant maintenance throughout my career. Hard to see him for Grasso on 98.7 ESPN. Boy, if you're a Yankee fan, that's not exactly what you want to hear from Aaron Judge, right? Who you have under contract for the next, oh, eight years or so? That that foot is going to be an issue. That toe is going to be an issue. And I'm like, shouldn't he just have surgery and, and be done with it? Couldn't, wouldn't you feel better if he had the surgery in the offseason last year? And he'd be, you know, he'd be ready to go now. Now, obviously, I'm sure that was something that he checked out. I know that, you know, he did his due diligence in trying to make sure that, you know, he would be, that would be the best move for him. Would it be that he would take the, you know, is, is would it better for him to have the surgery or just, you know, end the season? I mean, come on. With the way... Even though the, the most the most happy, optimistic Yankee fan did not think that you were going to make the postseason last year. Okay? You didn't think so. So wouldn't it have been better for Judge to just go ahead, have the surgery last year, get it done, come in this year with uh, a clean slate, 
peace of mind that I don't have to worry about dealing with this foolishness about this, this, this foot again. But that's not what happened. And once again, I'm just guessing because I would think that if he needed surgery, he would have gotten the surgery last year. But it's just something that seems like, if you're a Yankee fan, it's something that's hanging over your head. You're like, oh, what do we do? Here we go again with this foot. And you know it's going to be an issue. You're going to be thinking about this at some point in time during the season. Oh, God, what happened with the foot? Is it the foot? If, if they decide to rest him, Harvey, week in, in, in uh, a big series, and he's being rested, the first thing you're thinking is, oh, my God, there's that toe. Am I right? A hundred percent. You can almost set your watch to it. Yeah. It's going to be an issue. You're going to think about it. There's no question. How could you not? He's valuable. And this is, listen, unlike the Mets, this is a, this is a big year for the Yankees. The Yankees are trying to win. They're, you know, they're trying to go for it. They want a deep run in the postseason. Because I don't have to tell you, Yankee fans, I mean, it's been a long time since you've had a world championship. And it's been a long time since you've gone deep enough into the postseason where you're like, you know what, we could, we could, you know, we could do some things here. Now, yeah, there's some questions. As one of the callers mentioned earlier, we got it. You're not sure about your starting rotation. I get it. You don't know what Rendon's going to do. You don't know what Cortez is going to do. You don't know. You don't know if Clark Smith going to Smith going to be as good as he was last year, or maybe not as good as he was last year. But there's always questions. There's always questions. So you know, at least you've got at least you have Juan Soto for this year. Enjoy it. It at least gives you something exciting to look at in your lineup. That Juan Soto will is is a phenomenal player. And with Judge in the lineup, and listen, you do to get some luck. You do for Rizzo to be, you know, the Rizzo that started out. The Rizzo that started out last season was pretty good offensively. And you know what he brings you at first base. Uh, listen, you got some age on you. I get it. I understand. And I know Glaber Torres wants to be a, a Yankee for life. I got that. And I know he, you know, he's talking contract and he wants to, you know, get that extension. He doesn't want to leave. But uh, right now, at least, it's a long season. You play it out. See what happens. It's going to be a roller coaster ride, too. You know how it goes. Buddha's in the Bronx. What's up, Buddha? Uh, it's a great time to be a sports fan, you know? You got Absolutely. Joel Embiid's down. <laughs> Joel Embiid's down. Aaron, uh, Aaron Judge, as you discussed, the, 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 the foot, the toe. You know, it's just an absolute blast, buddy. <laughs> Listen, my my ace, my ace has got Buddha. My ace has got arm fatigue, and he's been in camp a week. Don't I know? Yeah, but, but but your expectations are lower, so you know the discomfort in that. I guess. I mean, you know, but there were two things that 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 have me chuckling. You know, I haven't had much to talk about. You know, recently sports wise, but. You know, I don't know who hates their job more, Doc Rivers or, or Rick Pitino. I mean, you know, between the two of them. And, and uh, Rick Pitino's got a lot of nerve. I mean, dude, <laughs> you can't even coach at a major college anymore because you're running brothels and stuff in dorms. Oh, <laughs> you're sitting here talking bad about these players. I wonder how that's going to help with recruitment, man. 
But, you know, the, the funniest thing that I heard earlier today was, um, you know, I think it was on Freddie and Harry, and mm-hmm. they spoke about how the Jets are the 10th most valuable um, team in pro sports. Yep. So that makes it all the more ridiculous that <laughs> Woody Johnson keeps hiring these coordinators, these low-budget coaches. And, I mean, wow. You don't have to win anything to be in the top 10? In, 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 um, like, how does that work, man? Maybe he really doesn't want to win. This guy's making money hand over fist. And we're all a bunch of suckers. Oh, my God. <laughs> well, I'll say this, Buddha. I'm trying to figure that out as well. Uh, thanks for the phone call. Because, I mean, I think on that list, because Kay and LaGreca and Rosenberg had the list as well. What what was it, guys? Was was the Mets seventy seventh on that list? That's correct. And Atlanta was like seventy sixth, something like that. I'm like, how is it? How, how are the Mets? And with all due respect, Joe, B- Brooklyn was what in the high in the mid fifties. Yeah, I believe there were twenty spots ahead of the net uh, the Mets. I don't get it either. I don't understand the list. Listen, I don't know the list. Just hearing the list, I got some questions about the list. Buddha, Joe, Harvey, I got some questions about the list. The list is a little fugazi to me, okay? I get that the Nets have a beautiful building in Barclays. I get it. I understand it, all right? They had, you know, KD and Kyrie surely made them more valuable, That the, 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 the franchise more valuable. I get that, but they're gone. And the Met, how are they 20 points more than the And this is not being a Met, you know, I'm not trying to be a Nets hater. How are they 20 points, 20 points ahead of the Nets, of the Mets? How? I, I, it's, just, it's just crazy to me that, to see that. So uh, I hear what you're saying, Buddha. I hear what you're saying. Uh, yeah, number 10 is not bad. Number 10 is not bad. Where were the Yankees? Top five, six? On that list, guys. No, standby. We'll check those. All right. Now. I think they were like five or six on that list. It's it's, uh, it's fascinating. I'm not. I'm surprised they weren't number one. I think Dallas was number one. <laughs> How about them Cowboys? <laughs> Haven't won the championship since what? Ninety eight. And they are the number one. The most. You know. It just goes to show. It's not. It's about, it's not always about success. Now, to be fair, it's not always about championships. <clears throat> Excuse me. It's about success because they, they have great regular seasons every year. I mean, <laughs> you know, Yankees are fifth. Okay. They have great regular seasons. Dallas has great regular seasons every year. But yet and still, you know, they're the number, and don't do anything in the postseason. Don't get to the Super Bowl. Have a lot of talent. Fan base, a popular team, popular team. Travel well. Every time you turn around, there's there's a, there's a star somewhere at the football stadium. There's a star somewhere representing the Cowboys. So from a popularity standpoint, there's something to be said. And listen, the Yankees at number five is not surprising because of their success, what they've been able to do, what they've been able to accomplish over their careers, over the franchise's career. I mean, you know. They're up there. Lakers have to be up there. Celtics. I mean, these are teams that have been successful, that have hardware, that have a winning culture. And uh, 
you know, unfortunately, Knicks don't have a winning culture. But they're but they are high because of the brand of being in the garden. So where you play has a lot to do with it too, I think. You know, the fact that the Knicks in, are in the garden, uh, you know, builds their brand a little bit, although from now is the most stable this franchise has been. God, I can't tell you when. That wraps up this edition of the Dan Grosser Show. It's been my pleasure to fill in for Daniel. Hear him tomorrow morning with uh, Dave Rothenberg. Harvey Joe, thank you very much. Conversation continues on 98.7 ESPN.